0: This is The Weather Lounge, here at WeatherWorks.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Weather Lounge, your favorite go-to podcast about weather. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and I'm flying solo today, but don't despair. My co-host, Mike we will be back for our next podcast in two weeks. I would like to thank you for joining us from our WeatherWorks headquarters here in Hackettstown, New Jersey, and hey, it's now June and the vernal equinox is only a few weeks away. So that brings us to our summer outlook and what to expect for the upcoming Atlantic hurricane season. And joining me today is Kyle Lahey. Kyle Lahey. 3-2. And joining me today is Kyle Lahey. He is a meteorologist also here at WeatherWorks and specializes in long-range forecasts and the tropics. He and fellow WeatherWorks meteorologist Kevin Winters Put these outlooks together and we'll discuss this all after a short
0: break. So don't go away. Hey everybody, well, how many times have you been burned by a weather forecast? Well, probably a few, and it might have cost your business thousands. Weatherworks is different. We have over 30 meteorologists to give you forecasts, notifications, and weather advice 24-7. Now that could certainly help when it comes down to making those crucial decisions, but there are even more products than that in which Weatherworks offers, from weather data to historical reports. Call us at 908-850-8600 or visit us on the web at weatherworksinc.com. And, oh, don't forget, when you think weather, think WeatherWorks.
1: Okay, welcome back to the podcast. And today we are talking about the forecast for this summer and what to expect in the Atlantic hurricane season. Also, can the upcoming summer pattern have an impact on next winter? So we'll answer all that. And joining me for all these answers is WeatherWorks, Meteorologist. No, that's too much WeatherWorks. All right, start Yeah. All right. Three, two. OK, welcome back to the podcast. And today we're talking about the forecast for this summer and what the Atlantic hurricane season will look like. Also, can this upcoming summer pattern have an impact on what to expect for next winter? And joining me for all these answers is meteorologist Kyle Leahy. Kyle, thank you for your time today and joining us here in the Weather Lounge.
0: No problem, Brad. It's always a good time talking to you guys. All right,
1: so let's start off with the uh, tropical outlook first. Since uh, we're already in the June, the hurricane season has, quote, technically begun uh, just about a week ago. And, uh, you know, Kyle, before we get into the outlook for this upcoming season, uh, let's go back to January because our first name storm is Arlene. but Technically, now we've already had our first closed low and our first, I guess, storm of the season.
0: Yeah, technically, the, the kind of NHC just sort of recently kind of just brought that storm into being. I mean, that was just kind of like a low pressure system off the coast. And they kind of just went back and deemed it um, kind of warm core enough, which is kind of how they determine like just kind of your run-of-the-mill low-pressure system that we see all the time in the winter to like an actual tropical system. But I believe it was subtropical. I don't even think they designated it as tropical. Um, so may have seen that kind of pop up in some like weather circles. But in terms of like actual like named storms, it's it didn't really make the cut.
1: Yeah, well, we'll get into the names. But uh, yeah, so Arlene's going to be our first named storm of the year. And, um, you know, and, and we do we do go by other, uh, you know, outlooks uh, that are out there. They're they're very public, uh, you know, Colorado State um, and also uh, National Hurricane Center. NOAA. Also, uh, they're both forecasting kind of an average season. Is this kind of what you and Kevin are seeing for this upcoming year?
0: So probably around average, if not slightly below. So we're not this is a pretty far departure from like the last couple of years where it was either above average to even some. Uh, to some vendors, even going like hyperactive. Um, so, yeah, th- this is this is definitely a bit of a switch. So, if anywhere, probably slightly bo- below average, but nothing like completely dead by any means. Right. So, as
1: of right now here at WeatherWorks, uh, you know we're we're going for an average of uh, ten to fourteen name storms this year. Three of the seven of those uh, turning into hurricanes, and one to three of those becoming a major hurricane. And that, of course, is Category three or higher. Um, so what, what goes into your outlooks, uh, Kyle? You know, what what do you and Kevin kind of really look at? I mean, the buzzword, of course, this upcoming summer is, you know, we're transitioning into an El Nino. How much of this does this, you know, how much of that goes into the, the, the forecast reasoning?
0: Um, so the El Nino or La Nina or just Enso uh, is generally a pretty big deal because that'll, generally lead to like more or less wind shear, which um, wind shear is just the difference in wind as you kind of go up the atmosphere. And a rule of thumb is the more wind shear there is, the worse uh, off any kind of tropical systems are. So with a La Nina that we've seen for the last couple of years, or really the last three years, those for the Atlantic are quite good for hurricanes. And now we're start, starting to finally switch to an El Nino, which is worse off for hurricanes. But the thing is, Um, there's a bit of a lag uh, between like the El Nino forming and actually seeing the effects of the El Nino. So kind of weighing that in, although we could see potentially a decently strong El Nino event occurring, we could envision like a a, a decently quick start to the season this year, since the La Nina really only ended a couple months ago. So we could still be seeing um, that kind of more favorable environment early on
1: right because there's got to be some kind of lag time between going from the la nina into the el nino which again you you even mentioned in the outlook you know and that the influences you know are probably going to take longer and longer but t- t- typically with the el nino going into el nino does that just mean more sheer in the atlantic i mean i know the water is pretty warm still but what's the biggest deterrent for making it more of an average or even a below average season
0: yeah, I think I think the shear is probably probably the most important factor. But yeah, as, as you said though, the the waters in the Atlantic are very warm, um, so that's going to kind of help outweigh um, the stronger wind shear. Um, so it's kind of like a yin yang there. But I would probably bet, especially as we kind of get into like September and October, for the shear to kind of win out as the El Nino kind of establishes itself a bit more.
1: Right, so that's kind of why why you said yeah maybe an earlier start this year because we're again in that transition until El, El Nino does get a little bit more you know uh, you know solidly intact as we uh, you know head towards which again and that turns into actually the most active part of the hurricane season as, as we all know the peak is you know that uh, what September 10th or 9th and
0: yeah, yeah 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 around there it's like late August into kind of like late September right.
1: So as for tracks this upcoming year, does that change much? I mean, what are we looking at for like a long track hurricane, basically uh, for some of our other listeners, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a long track hurricane basically is something that comes off of Africa and goes all the way across the Atlantic has a chance to really strengthen. But, you know, are are we looking at more long track hurricanes or are we going to have more like maybe just something that develops what we call homegrown off the coast of the United States somewhere or maybe some Caribbean risks?
0: Yeah. So there's actually like in in terms of the pattern, what we're seeing kind of based off the years that we're comparing this one to is that there's a pretty far departure in that. So the last couple of years, one of the main reasons why people were so um, kind of gung ho on the hurricane forecast was because there was a big signal for a lot of high pressure over like Nova Scotia, Southeast Canada. So that's a big risk for like US landfalls. And now what we're seeing this year is that we're seeing both low pressure kind of in that area and also low pressure kind of in the plains and like the central US. So really what the kind of low pressure over the plains does is that it kind of helps boot um tropical systems to the east. So I think a lot of what we're gonna be seeing is a lot of like, like like you could get those long tracking storms, especially since um the Atlantic is so warm, but those troughs are gonna help lead to more recurving storms. Uh, rather than, like, a higher risk for, like, a more impactful landfall along the east coast.
1: And, and you know, to get a recurving storm, you know, here in the northeast, uh, we like to see the trough actually set up somewhere nearby us or really over us, and that will deflect the storm, uh, you know, out into the Atlantic, because uh, we don't need any hurricane nonsense up here this year. <laughs> it's uh, um, and, and, you know, and, of course, you know, then you go back to Sandy, which was the, the you know, the biggest, uh, you know, i guess the oddest track that you know most meteorologists have ever seen and that and that was just the old high pressure on top of low pressure and we've seen it before it's just perfect timing um where the high built in as the low was gonna maybe escape but then the high or sandy or the the low or sandy uh, got pushed back towards the towards the coast of course and we know what happened after that
0: yeah so sandy was basically one of the like yeah freakiest events possible and yeah it was made possible by yeah like a, a huge high pressure system station like south of greenland over nova scotia we like we're not seeing that kind of blocking pattern um and yeah like you could still get homegrown systems as you said like in the gulf you can always get something in the gulf it really. seems like we always get a couple every year yeah yeah and like looking at our like uh kind of analog years um we mentioned Hurricane Bill um, in the outlook, which could be something that would make a lot of sense. Like you could get uh, a system forming off the coast of Africa, tracking kind of like north of uh, the Caribbean, and looking you know quite menacing as it does. I mean, that topped out at like a as a major hurricane, but there was a trough along the east, uh, kind of like in the eastern U.S., so it just got booted out to sea. Um, and then you got something like Hurricane Bob which was in 1991. Yeah, that's a a New England uh, special up there. Yep. So, like, I suppose that, I mean, could happen if a storm doesn't recurve quickly enough, but obviously that's at, like, at the outer end of all possibilities. I I would not consider that likely uh, in the slightest. Right.
1: So that's... uh... You know, and again, it, it, and when we do get name storms in the Atlantic, and as they get closer and closer to the US, and we start to really look at the westerlies, because that's really what's going to set up where the storm eventually ends up, you know, is... You know, is there a trough in the Midwest? Is there a trough in the Northeast? Is there a big area of high pressure? I mean, you know, it's, it's all dependent upon, you know, what's going on in the upper levels at that time. You know, of course, we have trends and analogs we can look at for, you know, the long term stuff, you know, looking ahead two, three, four months. But, you know, it all comes down to uh, at that time you know, when we do have a named storm and, uh, you know, what's going to drive that storm and what's going to guide it, you know, one way or the other. So, um, it's uh yeah, it's, it's, that's where the forecasting part really comes in, you know, and it comes in handy and you know, the models, you can, you can look at them all you want, but then it comes, it, you know, becomes a meteorology and meteorologists, you know, job to make sure, you know, you get that track, right. So
0: exactly. Like we, we have all these analog years, but I mean, it really comes down to like the minutia of the pattern. So although like what we're seeing kind of favors a recurve. There's nothing to say that perhaps like Florida could get a landfall or something like that. It's just not as likely as it was again for like the last couple of years where the pattern was way more favorable. And what's kind of interesting is that looking at some of the uh, model guidance as we kind of put in the, uh, in the outlook, and this is not, this is not the only model that's showing this, um, but based on the precipitation from August to October, compared to average so the greens um are showing higher than average precipitation you can even see that kind of recurve it's kind of interesting how well defined it is you have like a lot of precipitation along like eastern uh western africa so you got the waves coming off tracking kind of through the atlantic and then recurving pretty much off the carolinas
1: and 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 for our listeners right now i mean if you want a visual of all of our outlooks uh, both the summer and the uh hurricane outlook uh, they're available they're on facebook they're on twitter just follow us also there uh, there's a blog that's on our website weatherworksinc.com and you can uh, actually look at and and read exactly what kev uh kyle and i are talking about right now again these are the outlooks that uh kevin winters and kyle leahy put together for us here at weatherworks so um you know great job by both of them um you know taking a look at what uh what's going to happen here for the uh, next couple of months and again especially when we're going from la nina to el nino it's just uh, you know, big transition here in the atmosphere, and we'll get more about the uh, summer outlook and how that uh, is going to change with this as well. Um, you know, one other thing, uh, Kyle, I was, you know, I, I lived down in, in South Carolina for uh, 16, 17 years, and, you know, down there, they take, you know, not that to say they don't take hurricane season, you know, uh, seriously anywhere else in the country, but, you know, there are those areas that are, very vulnerable you know the north carolina coast south carolina coast you know all the way down through florida of course is andrews hugo you know so and at the time i worked for a tv station and, and the chief meteorologist actually you know that i worked for said you know hurricane season if you miss a hurricane, you know, forecast or you can make or break a station, believe it or not. I mean, that's how, yeah, that's, that's how big it is down there. And, and, you know, it's taken so seriously and, and, you know, they're wall to wall basically on coverage when there is an approaching system, especially if it's a stronger system. So, um, you know, and then you look at what happened even last year with Ian and devastation on the West coast of Florida. I mean, it's just, uh,
0: exactly. I mean, even, and that's the thing with a lot of systems, I kind of, track in that area the water is just so warm that if you have just again even with the increased wind shear from the El Nino like you could get just like a temporary little respite and all of a sudden you could still get a a very impactful storm so you know with 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 the forecast being slightly below average and all and with the most favorite track being a recurve that's not to say that you still can't get like a big impactful storm it's just It's just the pattern it's just not as likely as it has been
1: yeah it's uh, you know in in a specific area it's not it's not you know there are there are 14 15 named storms this year if they've gotten hit by one storm or you know it was it was a memorable year for them right and no matter what happened and you know folks on the west coast of florida they're south of tampa of course you know the the devastation and just uh you know the 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 horrible you know impacts that they had to go through down there so uh, hopefully we won't see any of those uh you know at least on the u.s mainland um you know keep them out to sea keep them fish storms as we like to call them <laughs> but uh um so i mean anything else you want to add about the tracks or you know what's going on with the uh the pattern here for the uh hurricane season
0: so one of the other things that um that we used to kind of uh, supplement a lot of our data for this year is um something called like uh, accumulated cyclone energy or right, ace, ACE. yeah which is something that i think is new in our outlooks. I don't think that we had that in there last year. Uh, we we added it. Um but it's pretty much just an accumulation of how much energy there is and how much activity there is for storms to actually develop. And a lot of the years that we use pretty overwhelmingly showed that there's gonna be less than average. Um so that lends itself to both like less intense storms as well as shorter lived ones. So pretty much overall um Things should be a good bit less impactful than most years, just based on kind of everything that we've spoken about. Um but um again, there's all all it really takes is one storm. So you can't really write anything off. Um but
1: I am gonna say I've seen hurricane seasons where you know you get like two really strong storms that last, you know, a week or two. And it'll accumulate, you know, it'll it'll make up, you know, eight, 75 to 80 percent of that total ace for the year.
0: Yep. That's really, yeah, that's really all it takes. And then like in terms of even like the strike probabilities um, that we also have in the outlook, they're pretty much lower than average across the board, um, which, again, is because of all the factors that we spoke about. But yeah, I I, I think that this is definitely a bit of a departure from what we've seen. Um, over the last couple of years, where we were almost expecting a impactful to even you know definitely more impactful than uh than normal, like on the on the higher end. but this is a uh, this is looking like it should buck the trend um, but obviously we'll uh, we'll see over the next few months
1: um and one last thing uh, we'll we'll go over to names real quick here. of course, Arlene is gonna be our first name storm of the year, whether or not it happens this month or not until July, but um, you know, as Kyle was just saying, uh, you know, maybe a, a fast start here. So maybe we get through you know, Arlene, Brett and Cindy here in the first month or so. And it always seems like there's a lull sometime in like late July and early August before we get into that, you know, the the, the heart of the season or, or the, you know, the the busiest part of the hurricane season. But, you know, every season is different from each other. So we'll um, but um, and then a couple of names that, uh, that, that were retired now, the World uh, Meteorological Organization, WMO uh they actually set up the names uh if our listeners who don't know the the names are actually come from them and then that national hurricane season or hurricane center releases those names and every six years the same list is used. However, if there's you know a name that gets retired then uh it'll be replaced by a different name. So for this year, um we have Harold which is a new name because in two thousand seventeen Harvey was uh was uh, retired i kind of remember harvey was was that the florida system
0: no that was um that was um south uh, or just eastern texas
1: that's right that was eastern yeah. texas okay. yep, where yeah we just
0: sat and just dumped like that's
1: right That was a 50 inches of rain that's right yeah yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah yep yeah i do remember that
1: yeah and then uh we have adalia which is the i name storm that's retired uh or retired irma from 2017 uh we all remember that one and then we still have jose katia i think it is or katia and lee and then uh, margo's a new one that's uh now hurricane maria i don't remember that one from 2017 yeah i think a lot of folks remember that one that was retired from 2017 then the last one's nigel uh that's a new one uh that's nate nate's now retired from 2017 but uh and other than that we have uh we have Philippe this year still. We have Rena. We have Sean, Tammy, Vince, and Whitney. So that'll round out the, uh, the alphabet this year. Hopefully we don't get that far into the, uh, the name list this year. <laughs> I
0: would probably bet against it. but Yeah, it, we'll uh,
1: based see. on what we're hearing and uh, what you and Kevin were forecasting, it's uh, you know, we shouldn't get that far down. All right, let's uh, shift gears now, Kyle, and uh, well, let's move into the uh, upcoming summer outlook. And, you know, again a lot of the same details go into this forecast as it does probably for the hurricane season, um, you know, may not involve, you know, the, 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 the same exact ones, but, you know, we're talking about, and when we're talking about El Nino, the transition into El Nino, um, overall broad view, you know, what does the transition in El Nino mean for summertime, uh, not only in the United States, but here in the Northeast.
0: I mean, generally, um, really later in the summer, which is the same kind of theme as what we are talking about with the hurricanes. Um, it just takes a little bit of time for it to really get its act together. But generally speaking, um, kind of m- most of the time with El Nino's, you, you're going to end up with a pretty warm, uh, warm summer, especially in the plains, which is again, what we're seeing like, uh, pretty overwhelmingly most of the heat is going to be centered in the plains. Um which makes sense even more so because um, they've been experiencing a pretty good drought. Like they it's um, I'm not sure if it's still in the exceptional category, which is the highest category um, in like Kansas around there. Um, But, you know, you'll see a lot of those heat waves kind of push eastward. So for the Midwest, they're relatively the closest to that kind of heat. And then the east kind of just gets the scraps uh, from that heat. And then with the El Nino, uh, the big thing is that the subtropical jet really gets going, which lends itself to, you know, cooler and uh, wet, uh, wetter than average uh, conditions over the Southeast US.
1: And, and so far this year, you know, a lot of the heat's been uh, kind of parked over the Northwestern United States and over on Western Canada. And, and we here in the Northeast, we see this because a lot of that heat is creating a lot of forest fires in Western Canada. And we've been dealing with this really for a good month now here in the Northeast where, you know, we'll get some, we'll get nice blue skies and sunshine, but there'll be that smoky haze that kind of drifts all the way across the, the, the all the way across Canada and then kind of dives into the Northeast. So, um, you know, we, we've seen several instances of that, um, you know. Other than like after a cold front goes through, then it might clear us out for a couple of days, but then we'll start to see that smokiness again. And uh, it kind of, it's, it's kind of eerie. It actually lends to some really nice sunrises and sunsets, but it definitely blocks out the sun in the middle of the day and it makes it look kind of like, you know, like a, almost like a, a, a milky overcast.
0: Yep. I mean, yeah, th- that was due to just a, a, a huge high pressure system that set up over Western Canada. It broke records. Um, so we're seeing a bit of a respite from that now. Um, we're kind of seeing more changeable conditions there, but the thing is, as we head back into June, looking at some of the longer range guidance, it's it seems like that kind of pattern is going to set up more, which again is rel- pretty typical of El Nino's, uh, where you have kind of a, a high pressure enriching building into really like the plains, Rockies, which is why we have such a strong signal for warmth um to the east of that ridge which is again kind of in the plains upper midwest
1: so with that kind of a pattern you know here in the northeast and that keeps us a little bit more maybe the northwest flow you know maybe as the ridge bumps east a little bit then we do warm up so maybe not as long-standing heat waves here at least in the beginning of the summer but how does that how does that unfold as we go further in like july and august even in september
0: yeah so We're going to kind of see that ridge, you know, tick eastward. We could see a few kind of bursts of heat push through as we had kind of like mid-late month. But really, once you get into August, that's when you start to see more persistent heat. But one of the bigger things, uh, or really one of the main differences, as you alluded to with the northwest flow, is that this is going to be a bit of a departure from the last couple of summers, where we get a lot of really like humid heats with really warm overnight lows. Yeah, like because that's due to high pressure in like the western Atlantic. And the thing with the El Nino is that as that kind of gets going, you really kinda start to see low pressure sort of start to like start to take its place. So with the northwest flow, you'll be seeing kind of more dry heat waves rather than um kind of just the really you know like high dew point kind of heat. And that's not to say that it can't happen or anything like that, but it's probably not gonna be as frequent as it was.
1: And, uh, yeah, and and tell you, we've, you know, we all know here in the Northeast, we've had a a fairly uh, dry spring. You know, we had a couple of shots of rain. Uh, I mean, New England got a good soaking rain. I guess it was like the third week of May, third weekend of May. But, you know, outside of that, it just hasn't been all that much rain. And, uh, you know, we also had a a couple of brush fire, like, uh, you know, higher risks for that back in may as well so you know we we could use the rain that's for sure so what are we looking at with that i mean obviously with this northwest flow it doesn't bode well for any kind of good soaking rainfall um going you know at least the rest of this month
0: as we've seen kind of in the beginning of the month we've kind of been sitting under um just this kind of big ridge over canada so it's been dry but with that western ridge setting up, kind of over you know Western Canada, the Rockies, uh, there's even a hint of some, even some blocking developing, kind of or just high pressure over Greenland developing. So that likely leads to a trough setting up over us. So this isn't the same kind of signal that you'd see. I don't know, like in the spring and the winter, where a trough usually leads to like bigger systems, because in the summer it's just tougher to get those. But generally, I mean that seems relatively unsettled so even though you know the start of the month has been quite dry um, i think that we should see a break in that which is kind of what we alluded to in the outlook where you'll see you know more frequent cold fronts you'll see a better chance to see some showers and storms and with the ridge kind of in the plains and the you know like Rockies, Western Canada, that's where you can start to see like some bigger convective systems start to push through. Derachos? <laughs> I wouldn't completely rule it out. Um, the big buzzword. Kind of pattern, yeah, big yeah.
1: summertime buzzword.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I mean, with that kind of pattern, just, you know, kind of squall lines, some decent cold fronts and just perhaps even a more organized low pressure system, even though they're tougher to get in the summer. With that kind of pattern, it's cert- certainly a possibility as we kind of head into like mid late month.
1: Yeah, so yeah, we could use the rain, that's for sure. We don't need the severe weather, but, you know, there, there's a lot of places that, you know, there are a good, you know, two, three inches below normal already going back to, you know, beginning of May, um, except in like parts of eastern New England. But again, that was just from that one system. And it's just, you know, um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes forward. And um, so moving on to July and August, like you said, then then we're going to start to bake a little bit more, at least here in the northeast.
0: I think so. Um, I would say July, like to start off, you're probably not going to be like particularly hot. Again, it's probably going to be a bit of a transition from, I wouldn't say a cooler June by any stretch, but definitely a more like seasonable one, as opposed to the summers that we've been getting where it's just hot. Um, But it's probably going to be, yeah, hotter and uh, hotter and drier uh, in July and definitely into August. But again, the main difference is that um, at least last year, And the year beforehand, when we were thinking hotter, it was probably going to be a bit wetter because you're transporting kind of southern air. Um, With this kind of pattern that we're seeing, you're actually going to be, you know, you're going to be kind of on that northwesterly flow or westerly flow. But the difference is that, like, the warmest air is to the west instead of kind of to the south. So you're going to be getting those heat waves from the plains pushing eastward instead. So hotter and drier is definitely a possibility as opposed to hotter and wetter. Um,
1: You know, it's hard to believe, you know, we're we're talking about, uh, you know, first day of summer already here in a couple of weeks. Um, All right. So let's let's talk about like 90 degree days. You know, that's always a big question, you know, here in the Northeast, at least. Uh, Are we looking at, you know, will will that push us above average for like, you know, I-95 corridor areas or?
0: Um, I would probably lean more towards just kind of the more urbanized areas, but in terms of like the number of ninety degree days, it doesn't look like particularly lower than normal. But it's it's definitely not like on the higher side. I mean, if if anything, I, I would lean towards a bit you know less of those. But I could see it just being kind of just pretty much average in line with a ten year average. Um, however, for 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 like the Midwest though, it's it's kind of you know on the other side where they're going to be closer to the heat. Um, and in terms of any kind of um, really rainfall or just, you know, compared to average, looks like, like you know, Midwest Ohio Valley is probably going to be like the warmest and driest. And then the Northeast is probably just going to be like a bit warmer and a bit drier. Um, and, you know, talking about the hurricanes, one of the main reasons why um, we were thinking a bit wetter than average for um, a good portion of, of the Northeast last year was because of the tropics. And since it doesn't look as... You know, as active, you kind of don't really get the benefit of getting like, you know, a tropical remnant to just I was give gonna say quick... that
1: we got a lot of remnants actually last couple of years here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we don't really have. I, I mean, of course, there still could be something. But as of right now, uh, we can't really lean on that as much. So it's, it's a bit tougher to get uh, bigger systems that just kind of dump rain on a big area.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, c- you know, kudos to you and Kevin, I mean, long, long range forecasting is not easy. It's, we lean on that heavily and especially in the winter too, as uh, you know, we look ahead to know uh, wintertime long range forecast as well.
0: Yeah, um, exactly.
1: So, you know, last thing I want to mention here about the, about the summer outlook, you know, talk to us a little bit about that the North Pacific ocean temperature. What, what, what is, I mean, I know it has something to do with the ENSO and, you know, how does that compare to, or how does that, i guess focus the long-range forecast here in the united states when you're talking about the the cooler waters in the pacific
0: yeah so that's generally more of like a winter thing i mean you could probably say that about most of like the pattern stuff because in the summer everything kind of just gets washed out um but we're kind of still stuck in that um Negative PDO phase, yeah, which which, we had all last winter. Yeah, it's been very, very persistent. So so basically, all that is is you have warmer waters kind of closer to Japan and near you know the Aleutian Islands near Alaska, and colder waters compared to average along the west coast and in like the Gulf of Alaska. So we're still in that negative state, which lends itself to the eastern US being a bit warmer than average. Um, But the thing is. We're probably going to see that break down a bit as the El Nino gets established. It's starting to break down a bit now. It's not as negative as it was, which kind of lends itself to <laughs> how negative it was. It was ridiculously negative. It well, was,
1: this is why the West Coast got so much snow and, and you know they were so active last winter.
0: Yeah, that's one of the biggest factors. Um, but yeah, so we're probably going to still see that negative PDO. Pretty much throughout summer, I I doubt it. I mean, it it could flip by the time we get to um, or or at least kind of become neutral by the time we get to uh, fall and winter, but probably through summer, it, it's likely just going to remain negative. Like like these kind of these kind of patterns don't flip too quickly. Uh, I mean the the D and PDO stands for um, decadal, so this the, the, these kind of things last for a for a long time. It'll probably lead to m- like. Um, a better chance of heat waves, uh, particularly, again, like later, later in the summer, it doesn't have the same kind of kind of push as it does in the winter.
1: Sure. Yeah. but It's it's still it's still an influence, but not as influential as it would be in the winter.
0: Exactly. Because like you could have uh, like in the winter, a trough on the West Coast almost always leads to a ridge in the east. But in the summer, you could have a trough on the like in like along the West Coast, you could have a ridge uh in the plains and a trough in the east right, like, like an omega ev- block kind of setup exactly you know? so everything's a bit more washed out so it, right. it doesn't have the same kind of influence yeah
1: all right so you know what let's that's a good segue for uh our, our final uh, portion here of the podcast so you know we're talking about going from la nina into el nino we're transitioning this upcoming summer so there's kind of got to be some building blocks then to maybe some hints to next winter. What would this kind of a pattern, if it does continue, which it's expected to turn into an El Nino, you know, full-blown El Nino, you know, what, what would this lend to next winter? You know, a weak El Nino, moderate El Nino, strong El Nino, how how does this all, you know, compare for next year?
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, pretty much the stronger the El Nino is um, the more influence it has. So if you have a weak El Nino, um, it's not really going to exert that much of an influence. I mean, they do, um, but once you really get into moderate, strong, and then even super, which is what we saw in 2015, 2016 that winter, um, the influence increases. So basically, El Ninos, um, it's, I mean, it's it's really the opposite of what we've been seeing for the better part of the last six years, more or less, which is where you have um, a trough over like the northwestern united states so it's colder wetter than average and then a ridge over the southeastern united states which is warmer um and drier which especially is what we saw last winter um but el ninos um overwhelmingly again especially the stronger they get have colder and wetter conditions over the southeast due to low pressure so that's probably going to be the biggest change that we're going to be seeing. I mean, it's, it it's a matter of, um, yeah, it's a matter of the strength um, and it's also a matter of the placement, which I would argue might even be a bit more impactful. So um, the reason why kind of the U S gets affected is, is really actually kind of due to what happens near Alaska. So near the Aleutian islands. So with La Nina's, you have a ridge over the Aleutian Islands. And that kind of leads to that, again, trough or ridge over the northwestern U.S. or trough or ridge over the southeast. So it's just one big kind of feedback loop. Um, But with an El Nino, you have a big low-pressure system there instead. And based on the placement, it'll determine on like how far west or east that low pressure is. So bear with me. But so if you have what's called an east-based El Nino, which is where the warmest waters are centered more towards South America, that uh, kind of the issue that can occur with those is that that low pressure that's normally near the Aleutian Islands can kind of tick eastward a bit more towards the West Coast and lead to more Pacific air kind of flooding into, yeah. So a lot of the time, the reason why those really strong El Nino events are bad for like snow for the pretty much Pretty much most of the US, but especially, you know, the East and the Midwest is because you have a really strong low pressure system sitting close to the West Coast. Um, and that'll flood the US with the Pacific air. That is not, yeah. And like that, that is not, (laughs) that's not expected. Um, you could also have a situation where you have, um, the uh, like warmest water with the El Nino kind of centered more towards the Dateline, which is um, like, uh, like pretty much 180 degrees central Pacific. Those um, the Aleutian low is again, pretty much centered over the Aleutians and you get a lot of ridging over the Western U S you get blocking over Greenland. And those are some of our best winners ever. Um, like those are the, you know, I mean, to, just to throw some years out there, those are you know the o two o threes and o nine tens of the world, and again that's not likely at this point at all. But with an El Nino, um, those are kind of in the realm of possibility. So I think that you know El Ninos are certainly better than La Ninos, like broadly speaking. For snow lovers, right? <laughs> yes, broadly speaking, I would rather have an El Nino than a La Niña. It's just it's just easier. But there are, there are ways to fail with an El Nino, and that should be kind of. Um, you know it should should be counted but i think you know we're probably looking if you know if i had to bet on it probably like a moderate to low end strong el nino which again it just depends on the placement if we get a central based one or a basin wide which is where like the warmest waters are pretty evenly spread out those are those are good like i i would i would probably bet on those being better than average um But if it ends up more east based, then you're kind of going to have to run the risk of there being some warmer periods. And it's just a matter of where everything sets up. And to be quite frank, there's really just no way to tell right now. I mean, you know, people might see things on, you know, on social media and stuff where people might be making some, you know, more declarative statements or saying that. Uh, the El Nino is going to be, you know, very, very, very strong. And again, there's just, uh, there's just really no way to tell.
1: Well, we'll be watching for hints. I'm sure as the summer goes on, I, I guess the first thing to do is if you're a snow lover here in the Northeast, we got to get that PDO flipped um, to positive.
0: It, it's probably going to get to neutral, which is right. fine. Even
1: neutral is better than, yeah, it has been. Sure.
0: Yeah. Neutral is okay. Because then you get the El Nino to kind of like work its magic if it's in the right spot. Um, and if it's positive, which, you know, it's an outside shot, but the, could be possible um then that's definitely better but again i mean i'm i'm definitely more optimistic about this winter than most over the last i mean what like five or six years it's been a long time so
1: it's it's so neat you know this is all and this is what we call as meteorologists it's all teleconnections this is all goes around the globe it's all different circulations and how they all you know one helps the other and and whatnot and you know it's, it's just um you know, something that, you know, we, long range forecasters can look at. So what, what are your first hints? Like maybe like August, we start to really notice, well, now we're starting to see this El Nino really take shape and we can see this, you know, the, the PDO is a lot more neutral versus just a couple of months ago on the Pacific. So is that, is that a good time where you start really looking ahead or you'll start to see hints at least?
0: I mean, right now we're kind of exiting it, but there's something called even the spring predictability barrier, okay. which is just kind of apt aptly named because there's there 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 have been so many times in march and april and even may where the models just completely flop because there's just nothing to really like everything's so washed out that there can be a lot of like positive or negative feedback and a lot of these enso forecasts don't really pan out so you kind of have to wait until the summer and especially the late summer and the fall like once we're into september we're probably going to have a good idea how this of how this is going to go because there's Still a lot of disagreement on model guidance. like there are some computer models, uh, like the uh, Canadian seasonal model, that have winter looking absolutely amazing. like it looks great. like you probably couldn't draw it up much better. And then you have um like our model, the CFS, which is not not, not like bad by any means, but it's definitely like a more kind of traditional kind of more east based El Nino where you get those intrusions of Pacific air. And to be quite honest, either one can happen. It's just too early.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's June, you know, things are going to change one way or the other, regardless. Um, you know, again, the confidence, though, is high for, you know, El Nino to, to really, you know, take shape by, by next winter. And then uh, we'll kind of just roll the dice from there. And now we just kind of sit back and, and uh, see how it goes and uh, enjoy the summer, I guess, and the summer nights and, you know, uh, and get ready for uh, for next winter. But uh, again, I want to thank you so much, uh, Kyle, for joining us today here in the Weather Lounge. and um, uh Kevin Winters of course a uh, big shout out he's another uh long range forecaster with you Kyle and a uh, great job for uh you know looking ahead to for the summer.
0: Yep, no problem. We'll uh back on air soon to yeah, talk Yeah, about yeah we'll, we'll
1: look forward to the uh the winter uh preview.
0: Yeah, to talk about winter before we know it.
1: Yep, yep, you never that's true. Once we hit the summer solstice the days start getting shorter?
0: <laughs> yep, basically, <laughs> it's yeah. Crazy.
1: So that'll do it for this week's podcast. And again, uh, if you want an idea what Kyle and I had just talked about for about the last 45 minutes visually, uh, it is available uh, in a blog uh, on our website, weatherworksinc.com. And uh, you can just uh, find the blog section and you can kind of look at everything we talked about, both the summer outlook and the uh, atlantic hurricane season so uh, that's something uh, a good read there if you don't mind to uh, check it out and uh also you can follow us uh, on facebook Insta- instagram and twitter weatherworks of course and if you have any ideas for any upcoming episodes here in the weather lounge you can uh, email us at weatherlounge at weatherworksinc.com and uh, again of course if you're listening to us you can find us on just about any podcast platform podbean apple google spotify or stitcher etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh, again thank you so much for joining us mike mahalik will be back with me in 2 weeks for our next podcast until then enjoy the nice summertime weather